I wanted to go back to Psalms and do Psalm 12 tonight, just uh, seven verses and um, a few less cross-references than previously thought. So, yes, you're welcome. <laughs> but uh, Psalm 12, there's something in there for us, I'm sure, and let's pray the Lord uh, uh, makes it plain to us. I'm just going to read through it and we'll come back and take a verse at a time. Um, Help, O Lord, for the godly man ceases, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They speak idly, every one with his neighbor, with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things, who have said with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are our own, who is Lord over us? For the opposition of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in safety for which he yearns. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. You shall keep them, O Lord, you shall preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked prowl on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. I'm out, of the, I'm out of the New King James, and if you got the King James, there's a couple of spa- uh, places where this actually sounds a little different, and it's kind of good, actually. But in verse 1, talking about the second generation, it says help. Help means save, deliver. It's not help as in we're necessarily in, in uh, a situation where we'd just be crying out for help, but it's specifically that he saves us. Uh, so it's a desperate place deliver us. And uh, so help, Lord. And why will the godly, the faithful ones, the saints, will they cease? They come to an end, it says. The faithful there, the word is the support, those that confirm, those that uphold, those that nourish. It's the support that David's talking about. It's those faithful, those saints. And it says they vanish and that means simply disappears. They vanish. Now, this is interesting here. The word, the children, or the sons um, uh, from among the sons of men, when it says the sons of men, it's talking about the second generation, the sons as in the next, next guys that came along after the Lord had done something with these faithful, after there was support, after there was an upholding and a confirmation and a nourishing that was going on. And David's saying, you know, for the faithful disappear from the next generation. You know, the men there is Adam, children, second generation, a group. So the first, the original support, the original confirmation, you know, this can mean real support and firmness disappears with the sons of the original godly believers the faithful ones, the saints. And I think you kind of feel where I'm going. You know, we can see it in our own country, how a country changes when, you know, the, the children forget what their parents and their grandparents taught them. All of a sudden, they're kind of doing it on their own, and they're forgetting what was, what was looked up to. We see it in our country, even though it took 100 years. But there's, a, there's a, obviously a, a missing aspect to how most of the young today view responsibility and view how to deal with, uh, with us and all and how to, how to have fear, fear of the Lord. 
and it gets worse with each generation. How are their kids going to behave? You know, we think about the 60s, and you know, a lot of us are children of the 60s. Some of us are children of the 70s. That's why my taste in music is a little different than yours, maybe. I don't know. And then there's our kids, or maybe the ones that came in the, in the 80s that came along and told, things are totally different. Well, now here we are, another generation or two, since things started letting loose back in the 50s when, when so much of the free, uh, you know, the, the forsaking of responsibility started to take place and became popular and obviously promoted by um, television and media and so forth. You know, it's no more uh, leave it to beaver. Now it's name anyone you want. Um, I think most people, young and old, know that you have to have an income to have a home. You know, your parents teach you that simply by being your parents. I mean, you grow up in a house where everything's provided for. It's because dad went out to work and because, you know, mom was doing everything, possibly going out to work as well. You know, you have to find a way to provide for food and clothes and a place to live. You know, and most parental wisdom, you know, pass that by example. And this is obvious. But it is human nature that will seek its, uh, the, the path of least resistance it's human nature, it's our sinful nature that's going to seek its own, desire its own, without regard for others. That's what our sinful nature is, right? Unless there's conviction, repentance, and salvation from a faith in Christ Jesus, we're going to be naturally selfish. And every son and every daughter is their own sovereign free agent when they reach that age, that age of accountability. Um, God made us that way. If you want, we can go to Ezekiel 18. And um, there's a chapter. It's a whole chapter I'm going to read, but the background is is the Jews were, were suffering. They were under judgment. And it was from the generation, one generation to the next. And so they're going, well, why is it we have to pay for the sins of our fathers? You know, And so starting in verse 1, they had this song, this proverb that they used to sing that sounded like that. The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, Well, what do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, but it's the children whose teeth are set on edge. As I live, says the Lord God, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father, as well as the soul of the son, is mine. The soul who sins shall die. And if a man is just and does what is lawful and right, If he has not eaten on the mountains, nor lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, nor defiled his neighbor's wife, nor approached a woman during her purity, and if if he has not oppressed anyone, but has restored to the debtor his pledge, and has robbed no one by violence, but has given his bread to the hungry, and covered the naked with clothing, he's not exacted usury, nor taken any increase, but has withdrawn his hand from iniquity, and executed true judgment between man and man. If he has walked in my statutes, which sums up the previous few verses, and kept my judgments faithfully, he is just. He shall surely live, says the Lord God. And if he begets a son now, who's a robber, or a shedder of blood, and who does any of these things, and does none of his duties, and has eaten on the mountains, and defiled his neighbor's wife, and oppressed the poor and the needy, robbed by violence, and hasn't restored his pledge, lifted up eyes to idols, and committed a, or committed abomination. If he has exacted usury, taken increase, shall he then live? Shall he not live? 
or he shall not live, he says. And if, has, if he has done any of these abominations, surely he will die. His blood shall be upon him. Now if, however, he begets a son who sees all the sins which his father has done and considers but does not do likewise, who has not eaten on the mountains, nor lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, nor defiled his neighbor's wife, has not oppressed anyone or withheld a pledge, rod by violence, and has given his bread to the poor and covered the naked with clothes, and who has withdrawn his hand from the poor uh, and not received usury um, or increase, but has ex- executed my judgments, walked in my statutes, and he shall not die for the iniquity of his father, he shall surely live. As for his father, because his cruelty oppressed, robbed his brother by violence, and he did what was not good among his people, behold, he shall die for his iniquity. Now here's the point. You say, why should the son not bear the guilt of the father? Well, because the son has done what is lawful and right, and has kept all my statues and observed them, he shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son, but the righteous of the righteous shall be upon himself and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. But if a wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed, keeps all my statutes, and does what's lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him because of the righteousness which which he has done. He shall live. Do I have pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord. And, And... says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live. Boy, that's a key verse. But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, on the other hand, and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? Well, all the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered because of the unfaithfulness of which he is guilty and the sin which he has committed. Because of them he shall die. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not fair. Well, hear now, O house of Israel, is not my way, it, it is not my way which is fair and your ways which are not fair. Um, when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity and dies in it, it is because of the iniquity which he has done that he dies. And again, the wicked man turns away from the wickedness which, which he has committed and does what is lawful and right. He preserves himself alive because he considers and turns away from the transgressions he committed. He shall surely live and shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, The way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, it is not my ways which are fair, and your ways which are, or it is not my ways which are fair, and your ways which are not fair. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways. Every, each and individual, each and every individual, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of the one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. That's a long chapter, but it's a good chapter to remember. Because how many times do people blame their parents for their sin? And yes, we certainly inherit some things. We end up in a situation. But you call on the Lord and you're, you're right back. He says he restores. You don't have uh, the sin 
on you that your parents committed. You don't have the judgment for that on you. Not when it comes to God, not when it comes to his righteousness and his favor. And he can turn and turn your life into whatever he so chooses, you know, despite whatever uh, circumstances you grew up in. And the same as goes the opposite direction. If you're, I know uh, there's people who grow up in a Christian home, so-and-so, and yet their walk is, is with, with no conviction. They, they, they just uh, seek their own. Their words don't line up with the Word of God. And whether or not they grew up in a Christian home doesn't matter. What matters is what are they doing with their lives. Um, when we uh, think of, well, I did so many good things, you know, and I only made one bad mistake, you know, can't I just get credit for all the good ones? Billy Graham, I think, told this one where this uh, guy was driving through this town down in Mississippi. He's going uh, 40 and a 25. He gets pulled over and he shows up before the judge. I think I'm confusing two different stories here. But anyway, he uh, gets to the judge, and the judge says, well, you know, you, you've broken the law. Here's your fine. And the guy says, well, all the rest of the time I did the speed limit, but this time I was doing 40 and the 25. Can't I get credit for all those other times? Well, that's not how it works. You committed the sin, and you, you uh, got caught doing it, and so you pay the fine. And so as an example um, of whether or not we have sin on us from our parents. And the point I'm kind of getting at is each will give an answer for their own godliness or lack thereof. And we're talking in Psalms about the sons of those that were saints. And David is crying out for help because their faithfulness is gone. Um, When it comes to a fellowship of the believers, the same is true, a godly parent should certainly provide as much training as they can. But the young adult will have to come to obedience or rejection of the gospel on their own. And, um, you know, friendship with the world is enmity with God. It's not an easy path, and that's true. Um, You know, we can't look to the world for any of that support and encouragement when it comes to our Christian walk. They're not going to want to be helping us. And so when, when kids do grow up and they leave the house, they find that there's a path to be walked, and they will choose. Um, God has no grandkids. You don't, uh, you're not saved just because you grew up in a Christian house. And um, the sooner your ki- you tell your kids that, the more likely they're going to start be responsible for their own walk with the Lord. They realize, gee, you know, I don't get to just cruise along because mom and dad were saved. And um, so David is talking about most everyone at this, t- says he says, uh, among the sons of, of man, um, back in Psalm 12, he says they speak idly in verse 2. He says, um, they speak idly everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips and a double heart. What is that? They speak Speaking idly is, uh, encompasses just emptiness, vanity, falsehood, nothingness, worthlessness of conduct is all how that fits along with that idly and um, how it's used elsewhere in Scripture. And when he's talking about everyone, he's saying all of mankind and amongst everybody. When he's talking about these guys talking to their neighbors, it's their friends, companions, together with each other, so it's back and forth. 
The word flattering lips is interesting. We all kind of know what flattery is. And um, if you know it's good for you, you will never flatter because it never ends well. Sooner or later, the relationship's going to get to a point where they're going to find out you never thought that in the first place. And if you truly love somebody, you love them. And yeah, they are to you all the, all the goodness that, that has that love to it. Flattery is different. This is an interesting word in the Hebrew. It simply means smooth talk, smooth language, slick speech. And they all, they're all around the subject, you know, the serious subject. They're all around the edges of it, but they never address it directly. They're smooth about it. And that smooth talk. Now, a double heart is interesting. In the, in the Hebrew, it just says heart, heart. So the guy's got two hearts. One is the one you're hearing about. That smooth talk's laying out that, that uh, first heart. But he's got another one that he's not giving up. He's not letting you see what's in that second heart. They're showing you one heart, but they have another. And they're not going to reveal their real motives there. Now, how this plays out amongst believers these days, these types still hang around. Um, but not to support or uphold or confirm, like David was saying with the saints, like he was saying with those godly guys. Uh, they know all the right things to say. They're, they're not gracious. They're not forgiving. They're not patient with any of us. There's gain in it, unless there's gain in it for them. And they know all the right things to say to fit in with a double heart, you know, everything that they can get away with without revealing what they are. And there's something always a little bit off. There's something just a little aloof. They're smooth talkers, but it's empty and worthless. And is this really in the church today, smooth talkers? Romans 16, verses uh, 17 through 19, if you want to turn, or I can just read it. He's winding up the book of Romans and talking about those that he would... uh, want them all to greet, or want to greet everyone, all of them. And, uh, but he gets through all of this, and he's got one more thing to say by way of exhortation. And he says, urge. Anytime he's saying urge, it probably has something to do with being maybe urgent. But now I urge you, brethren, verse 17, note those who cause divisions and offenses. And notice this, it says, concern, or contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. You know, generally speaking, when people are divisive and they're offensive, it's going to come around to doctrine. Because clearly, a godly life, which is doctrine, is not what they're looking for. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by smooth words, he says it right there, and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has become known to all, therefore I'm glad on your behalf. But I want you to be wise for what is good and simple concerning evil. He uses the word simple in verse 18 when he's talking about people who are taken, they're taking advantage of. And these are people that says are without guile or fraud. That's a good thing, right? Uh, They're harmless. That's a good thing. They're free from guilt. They, they're fearing no evil from others, and they're distrusting nobody. But in verse 18, it has a, a bit of a, a gullibility to it. And so these guys, these smooth talkers, they take advantage of them. It says, uh, deceive the hearts of the simple. Now in verse 19, he uses that word simple as well, and it's a little different word. In that point, when he's talking about being wise, 
but be simple with regards to evil. He's talking about be unmixed. Be pure. Don't be mixed up with evil. And be unmixed. And he says, um, pure as in wines or metals is the, the meaning of that. Pure of mind. Without a mixture of evil. Free from guile. Innocent and simple. Isn't that something that we can just be simple and not be evil? We don't necessarily have to be uh, on some kind of a plateau or some kind of a level of complexity in order to avoid sin, in order to avoid um, evil. We just need to be simple about it and, and avoid it. Don't mix up with it. Don't let it be mixed into your hearts. And, you know, what does he say to do with those that cause division? Number one, says note them. Well, note means look at, observe, contemplate, fix your eyes on them, direct your attention to them, all the while taking heed to yourself. And then it says, uh, you know, and, and t- all the while taking heed to yourself, mark them. And then it says, avoid them. The word there literally means turn aside, deviate away, and shun those that would cause division. And division in context here is about offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. You know, there are people who cause division sometimes, and you know, you can kind of you can kind of tell. Usually the first they're starting to talk about this person over that person a little bit. Division comes usually out of you know, maybe gossip, maybe introducing some type of a doctrine that's close but is not the true doctrine of the Lord. And they mix it, they turn it just a little bit, and it becomes um, a false doctrine, and it becomes a division now where they're starting to separate what's true of the Lord and they're separating it out. So the context there is those that cause division contrary to doctrine. So it's good to look at these guys, it's good to consider them, but it's then necessary to mark them, and especially over doctrine. But be simple and innocent about that evil that they were walking in. Going to Second Timothy, uh, a little bit to the to the right there. Second Timothy chapter three. We'll just do five verses out of there. Does this apply to us today? Was it just Paul? Well, we know that we're living in the last days. You know, God's timepiece is the land of Israel. And uh, those that he brought back in, the Jewish people, 70-some years ago. That's God's timepiece. So we have been living in the last days since the early church. They talked about living in the last days. and um, But now, these last of the last days, he's talking about in the future... In context, so Second Timothy, chapter three, verses one through five. But know this: that in the last days, perilous times will come, and we should be praying about that. We have to pray because we don't know what's going to come our way. We don't know the future. The Lord does. We need to be in a place where we're trusting Him. We need to be in a place where we're depending on Him for everything, so that when these days come, we might not necessarily have time to go run into our gun cabinet. But we certainly got time, and we will be ready, as in the five wise virgins, as opposed to the, the five foolish virgins. They, had, they didn't have the oil. And they, they did, uh, the five wise virgins, they were ready to go because they had been staying prepared and by, by seeking the Lord, by praying over what may come our way these perilous times. And as a result, men will be lovers of themselves, 
lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents like we saw, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers and without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong. That's what David's talking about here with these sons of men. Haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This is the weird part. They have a, a form of godliness. What does that mean? They have a form of godliness. Where are these people? They're among us. Many times they call themselves Christians. Maybe they work, they, work at, um, they meet you up at work. They see you at work. You rub elbows or they're people that are maybe family get-togethers or maybe neighbors. They call themselves Christians. They have this form of godliness, but they're denying its power. Power what? Well, power to be able to love, power to be able to forgive, to, to refrain from slandering, to refrain, refrain from seeking after pleasures. And they, that form of godliness they have doesn't have that power. And what does he say again here from such people? Well, let them hang out. They might change their mind. You know, we've got to listen to their side of the story. And maybe if you know, enough time goes by, maybe they'll, they'll finally come around. What does it say in verse 5? From such people do what? Turn away. You know, they're calling themselves Christians. And yeah, we should tell them, listen, here's what the Bible says. Are you really a Christian? But if they don't do anything about it, you've got to turn away. I don't know that the Lord's given up on them, but he says to us, they're obviously uh, in these perilous times, in these last days, only something God can deal with. And you, again, be simple about the evil that they're doing so that you don't get pulled into it. So, the last days, and even among us, verse 3, in Psalm 12, cut off the proud, or cut off the lips. They speak proud things. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things. I'd like to say that that cut off flattering lips means something else, like maybe just, you know, put them aside or maybe put them in a different room. Actually, it means cut off their lips. Now, obviously, he's... <laughs> David's saying, how do we deal with these types? And can you just get rid of it? Can they be quiet? Do what you got to do so they can't be flapping their lips anymore. You know, and it's... Now, and notice it says they, they, they're the guys that are speaking foolishness, this idle speak with their neighbors, you know. And with this double heart, you're not getting who the real person is. Why do you, who can listen to that? How long can you go listening to that, realizing there's just fraud there, realizing, by example, and I'm sorry, but I can't watch the news because you just don't know what to trust. Even the weather has a slant because it means the world's ending because there's global warming. You can't even watch the weather without getting some comment. You know, there's so much lies. And I cannot, I can't, I, I cut off their lips by changing the channel. I'll watch, I'll watch, you know, reruns of Gunsmoke before I watch the news. So, and the tongue that speaks proud things, that word proud, you know, it seems extreme, but he's talking about these smooth talkers. It says proud things. Proud means big. It's not necessarily what you think about the puffed up, you know, type of person who's proud. They're, they're talking about proud things as in big, you know, intense, haughty, inflated exaggerated stuff. That's what they're all talking about all the time. Exaggeration, you know, I do it sometimes, you know. But if I did it on a, on a 
giving back somebody change at the store or, or you know, taking something from somebody, and I exaggerated about that. Well, they'd say, wait a minute, you owe me another five cents or whatever. You can't exaggerate when it comes to something like that, but people exaggerate all the time about the fish they caught, for one example. Maybe, maybe not. Or how good a shot they are. Or there's, you know, exaggeration is a lie. It really is. It might not seem like that harmful, but these guys, it's big, it's intense, it's haughty, it's inflated, it, they're talking big stuff, you know, and you can just think of this, godly men and women, saints, and then their kids come along, and they're just trying to compete with something they have no idea, and sometimes, unless they're raised in the Lord and they stick with it, you know, sometimes a Christian's kids can go so far the other direction. For example, I wasn't going to talk about this, I'm a preacher's kid. And when I was growing up, I did all that I could to have friends compromise. You know, I had absolutely no desire to serve the Lord. I didn't seek him. I didn't know him. I don't know if there was a certain age that I reached when I came to accountability or whatever, but I got in more trouble so that I could prove to everybody I was cool. And that's kind of the way, that's kind of what I'm talking about. It's just in order to have friends, just in order to prove that I wasn't going to be a narc or wasn't going to, you know, I went the opposite direction. And that's kind of what he's getting out, out of this. These sons are exaggerating. They will not accept correction. They get all the more stubborn and all the more hardened. And then there's pride. Talks about, speaks proud things. Proverbs 6, if you go off to the, to the right here, to Proverbs chapter 6, just to read 16 through 19. This is another one of those passages that kind of sets you back if you haven't seen this before. We don't often think of things God hates. Um, and when he says God hates, it says he hates. And when it talks about an abomination, an abomination is something that is absolutely going to be judged, something that is absolutely so wrong that it's it's it stinks to the Lord. It just smells to him. It's an abomination. These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven, are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies. God hates that. And one who sows discord among the brethren. One who sows discord among the brethren. You know, this is what David is getting at. These guys are coming along, and that which was good, the faithful, the godly, are ceasing. And along comes this next bunch, and they are causing all kinds of division. God doesn't have any grandkids. The first account of pride is when God found pride in the heart of Satan, and he was cast down like lightning. He's the author of lies, and he is going to be quick to tempt any man with that same kind of pride. And if you go back to Psalms 12, only you look at the first part of that page, Psalm 10. This is a, a real mirror of what these first... Uh, verses next or next few verses uh, three through five really are it's why do you stand afar off lord why do you hide in times of trouble it says the wicked in his pride persecutes the poor we're going to see that in a little bit 
He says, let them be caught in the plots which they have devised, for the wicked boasts of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. The wicked is in his proud countenance, does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. His ways are always prospering. Your judgments are far out of his sight. As for his enemies, he sneers at them. And he says in his heart, I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. He sits in the lurking places of the villages. It's weird. On secret places, he murders the innocent. He, his eyes are secretly fixed on the helpless. His, he lies and waits secretly as a lion in his den. He lies and waits to catch the poor. He catches the poor when he draws him into his net. He crouches, he lies low, that the helpless may fall by his strength. He has said in his heart, God has forgotten. He hides his face. He'll never see me. Well, David says, Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the humble. Why do the wicked renounce God? He has said in his heart, You will not require an account. Oh, but God will, right? You have seen, for you, and for you observe trouble and grief. To repay it by your hand. The helpless commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked. Cut off their lips. And the evil man, speak out his wickedness until you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of his land. Lord, you have heard the desire of their humble. And you will prepare their heart. You will cause their ear to hear. To do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. That the man of the earth may oppress no more. And Psalm 12, verses 4 and 5. These proud, these flattering, what do they say? Who have said with our tongue we will prevail. Boy, the power of words, huh? Uh, these days you can't hardly believe a thing and, and they believe if they tell a lie long enough that eventually it become truth. He says our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? Who is Lord over us? Now, I know you've seen that on hats and T-shirts and, and the whole bit, bumper stickers, only it kind of goes like this. You ain't the boss of me. Have you ever heard that before? You know, people like to, to say, you know, you ain't the boss of me. That's exactly what they're saying right here. Who is Lord over us? They have their own lips. They, they don't think anybody's going to ever call them into account. They despise authority. And Second Peter, if you want, I'll just read it. Ten verses, Second Peter two one through ten says, "But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed." By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words for a long time. And their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, well, did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight, and a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. You know, people know that's a true story. They just don't want to admit it. And they delivered righteous Lot, who uh, was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. 
For that righteous man dwelling among them, and this is us today, tormented in his righteousness, his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Don't grow numb. Don't grow used to it. You know, they got same-sex marriages on television and it just makes you cringe. You know, you just, you can't even flip around without seeing whatever. You have all manner of things. And it started with the soft way back in the 50s and things started growing a little bit more, a little bit more. Now it's just full on. And and we see now there's just no holds barred. And um, so where was I? Nine. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority is what we're getting at back in Psalms. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak. You know, we got big power with our lips in verse five or in verse four. With our tongue, we'll prevail. Yeah, that's well. Date myself talking about Dan Rather, um, but uh, you know that's your news media. That's just about anything is going to have that. If you tell a story long enough and you hide the truth long enough, nobody will know any different. And uh, we know that's been going on. And now it's censorship, and uh, we could talk about that for a while. But I think you guys here are pretty well versed in what we're dealing with these days. These are perilous times. Be praying. Be having your eyes on the things to come. Verse 5, like we read in Psalm 10, for the oppression of the poor. David is calling on the Lord. Lord, you know what these guys are doing to the poor. We can count on knowing the Lord's heart regarding the poor, the truly poor, those that come across our paths. Those In this country, it's hard to see because we don't... There's stores everywhere. There's people everywhere. There's ways to to get what you need everywhere. People find themselves in circumstances. But whatever the need may be that comes before you, know this. There's one thing that gets the Lord's attention, and David knows it. He says, For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now I will arise for that, says the Lord. I will set him, that poor, the needy guy, in the safety for which he yearns. And we're talking about people who are in desperate situation and in fear for their lives. Desperate situation who really have nothing. But not only that, these oppressors are hunting them down in the alleys. Didn't we read that? Where these guys are trying to take advantage of them. And so the words of the Lord are pure. Verse 6. Like silver tried in uh, the furnace of earth, purified seven times. The word pure, again, is clean, unmixed, purified, filtered seven times is interesting because, first of all, you don't think the word of the Lord needs to be filtered, but the idea here is it is so pure that it has been uh, purified seven times. Now, God is going to be faithful to his word. Let's go to Proverbs uh, 30. It's just a little bit to the right from our psalm. And just read four verses. Proverbs 30, verses 5 through 9. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Notice this. Do not add to his words. And that's uh, good advice. Lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. In other words, 
trying to make sense out of something that you really don't know what God is saying. Like I say, it, it, it's so important for us to realize there are times that we can just say, I don't know. When somebody may ask a question, you know, it says that we should every, be able to give an answer to every man, he says to Timothy, uh, so that, you know, he can uh, know the word so that he can do that. But there are times, and there will always be passages that, I mean, I don't know how um, the Nephilim came about. That's just weird. I don't know a lot of things about the scripture, and sometimes, you know, you have to just be willing to say, I don't know, but maybe I can find out for you would be a good thing. Then you can go look it up or see what you, who you can study. But there are some things the best scholars can't say emphatically, this is the way it has to be. I mean, for the longest, by example, the longest period of time, 2,000 years or 1,500 years go by from when the church became popular under Alexander and went all the way until May 14, 1948. There's all these prophecies about, in the New Testament, even about Israel. Paul writing to the Romans, nine, or chapters 9, 10, and 11, Israel. And they're going to be brought back in. They're going to be gathered back in. They're going to be grafted back in. And for up until May 14, 1948, the average Christian's looking at that, that can't be possible. Instead of saying they're going, well, it's going to have to be, or I just don't know, well, then they come up with this whole theology of replacing Israel with the church. All the promises of, of, that are going to Israel now, that's the church. They get to have those promises. And we know that's, that's not true because here we sit now with the luxury of looking back at May 14, 1948, to where this little nation became a nation in a day, just like the Bible says, brought them back, and there's still more prophecy to come regarding that nation. But uh, did I read these verses yet? Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Two things I request of you, deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full, too full, and deny you. Or say, and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and don't have anything and end up having to steal and then end up profaning the name of my God. And so he's saying, you know, your word is pure. Don't add anything to your word. Now, God is faithful to his word. From generation to generation, it says, and for all men's progeny. So we have these godly, we have these saints that David's talking about, and their sons are coming along. And they want to change the word because, you know, come on, we have different life now. This is America, it's the, the 2021, and, and we got all these different technologies and so forth and so on. The Bible can't be true. You know, there's got, we got to turn, that's got to mean something else. We got to make it relevant. Relevant? Here's God you know, knows the beginning from the end. There's nothing happening right now that surprises him. He, he prophesied. He told us what was going to... God's word is, is uh, it says, from generation to generation, for all men's progeny, from, he's going to keep from, oh, and I'm back in Psalm, that's what I missed here, uh, verses 6 and 7. It says, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. You shall keep them, keep this word, O Lord, you shall preserve them from, it says, you shall preserve them from this generation forever. And what that means is above. It means out of reach that they could compromise it and change it. 
It's for us, absolutely. He's given his word. We have it right here in our hands. For generations in the dark ages, there was one Bible in every territory, and you had to believe the priest or the monk who was teaching out of it, and they were trying to charge you for getting your relatives out of purgatory. So I don't know, um, but the Lord was faithful, and if a person's heart was towards him, he would, he would meet their need. Nevertheless, it says from, out of, above, separated out of these guys' reach, generation is a period of time, an age, a habitation, or a dwelling. So the Word of God is not subject to obsolescence. It's not ever going to be obsolete. It's not subject to relevance. It doesn't matter where you lived, any country, tribe, culture, throughout all of history. God knows the beginning from the end. Is anything going to surprise him? I mean, when we, when we fall or when we see something that's horrific or when we see something that just is unjust, when we see a Supreme Court, which I love to say is not the Supreme Court, like David Hawken has two words for the Supreme Court, you're not. And that's all you need, right? <laughs> and so you, you know, God knows the beginning from the end. There's nothing that's going to surprise him. Does he have to change his word to fit social norms? I mean, do we have to now have the serendipity Bible so that you can kind of see how it flows and kind of follow it the way, however you feel that day? Do you have to have the genderless Bible where God is a, an it, I guess? I don't know, what do they say? They've, they've got these Bibles out there now where they've made the genders, God's a woman or God's just nothing. Um, the Bible doesn't need to change at all. He knew all this way beforehand. And again, it's, it's any location. That generation means period of time, age, as in the age of man, any of the early ages or the age that we do live in now. Habitation or dwelling, in other words, the Amazon River or Greenland or anywhere else that you want to imagine. This one book is the same for every human being. I like to say there's as many stories as there are human beings and every single one of them is different and yet this book applies to every single one of them the same. And we might not think it's so prevalent in uh, institutions like, uh, like uh, Wycliffe are so important because they're getting the Bible out to all these nations that don't have it. And missionaries have been going out and the Lord has been, you know, the Lord has filled this world with his gospel and he continues to do so. And when people hear this gospel in many places, it's what they've been knowing. It's what they've been looking for, and they get saved. And so he's been working in hearts of people regardless. But the, his word, and many times, is printed on their hearts. You know, whether or not they had uh, the printed Bible in some remote village in uh, Asia somewhere, or whether they just had in their heart the conviction that God put there. And they drew close to him. So when the gospel came, they were ready to receive it. And uh, even, uh, you know, he doesn't have to change his word to fit any social norms. And doesn't it kind of blow your mind that for every person in any country, tribe, culture, throughout all of human history, his word's the same? Even with all the technology and power of our day and all the cultural distinctives and powerful media exhaustive misinformation. They talk about the information highway. Well, it's 99% misinformation these days. And the social engineering, and you think it's so far out of reach from what people, but this will reach a person's heart. As long as there's man, and man has a heart, 
as long as he's created in the image of God, man and woman in this world, this Bible will apply to them. And if God's working in their hearts, they'll receive it. And uh, his, his word remains the same and will outlast all of this darkness and deceit. It says heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will last forever. <clears throat> and we're watching our lives kind of disintegrate these days. What are we going to hold on to while it all goes down? Last verse says, The wicked prowl on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. There's these sons of men that David's talking about again. The King James Version reads, The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. Vileness is worthlessness. It's not like what you might think. It's just not necessarily that vile. And as I thought about it, it would mean I'm looking this up to go, okay, this is going to be an interesting word. What does he mean by vileness? Well, it really means just that same worthlessness up in verse uh, 1. And falsehood, but it has to do with being shaken up into a tempest. So this, this vileness, this falsehood is normally empty and just doesn't do anything. It's a puff of wind or not even. It can't cause anything. But because it's so stirred up, because it's so, you're, you're completely inundated with it, as we know that we are in these days. Why? We can't hardly watch the news without getting the lies. That's what he's talking about here. When that kind of falsehood, when that kind of is dusted up and turned into this tempest and wind, it's empty. But because it's turned into this great thing and it's exalted, then he says, the wicked, they're prowling on every side when that's going on. They're raised up for all to see and for all to celebrate, but it's just vileness. Anyone would, would recognize that in the days that we're living in. You know, when David was seeing it, it's the same thing. He wasn't, you know, the human heart wasn't immune to lies back in David's time, misinformation and deceit. You know, the wicked seeking to do harm take down the work that God has done. He's talking about in verse 1. And so just a couple of passages to close um, in light of these days because what is our hope? It sounds pretty hopeless, doesn't it? Well, not for us. And for anybody who wants to listen to you talk to them about the Lord, if they're interested, and more and more people are these days, um, we know Every other week we'll see people coming up and saying, you know, we haven't been here before. We want to, we uh, you know, what, how do you do things around here? You know, we're glad to be here. We love your study and, and all that. And they were talking about Dwight, obviously, not me. And, and so it was obvious that the Lord's doing something these days as things get worse and worse that people are going to start being hungry. They're going to start looking. They remember their parents. Maybe their parents had to go for the, until they were five years old. Maybe they did go to Sunday school. Maybe there's something still in there that they remember, they recognize. In First Peter one, um, chapter chapter one, seventeen through twenty-five. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, but knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition from your fathers, but by the precious blood of Christ as a lamb 
without blemish, without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, raised him from the dead, and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. Right? Where are we putting our hope? Well, our faith and our hope is in God, and you pick right up with that back in Romans uh, chapter 5. It just almost carries that exact same thought, first five verses of chapter 5. He says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in what? You know, the Packers one. No, we got the president we wanted. Or what do we rejoice in? We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We're going to be there. We're going to be with him. Man, to, you know, sometimes it just settles a whole situation when people are in the fray. And we get in the fray as Christians. We get in the fray in ministry and just busy, busy about something and frustrated or whatever. And, and just to sit back and go, we're going to heaven. All of a sudden, oh, you know what? We are. What else can there be? Not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, believe it or not. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance character. Character now produces that hope. And that hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Praise the Lord. We have that seal. We have the Holy Spirit. And it's been poured out into our hearts. We're not disappointed. We're not going to be disappointed with the hope that we've placed in him. Can't wait. And boy, when we get there, I can't wait to see all you guys there. Amen. Uh, Lord, thank you for your word. And I pray that you administer these things to our hearts. And um, I pray more than anything, Father, that you would bring people across our paths that you have foreordained before the foundation of the world, that they might hear no matter how we have to stumble through it or whatever takes place to get the word out, I pray that um, the questions would come. And Lord, there's so many times when it's just a wide open door, you bring people to us and it's just right there, easy as picking an apple off a tree in October. And we just pray that you would be bringing that kind of fruit and that it would be uh, something that would be of you and that they would be seeking you and that the word would be received. And so let us remember all these things. Let us remember your grace and your mercy and your love for them, for the loss, and not be afraid to share. And we just pray you'd go with us this week. I pray you'd protect us uh, in this kind of weather. We, I pray that you'd be preparing us for these days, these uh, perilous times that we're living in. I pray that we'd continue to have our peace in the midst of all of that, that peace of God because we have peace with you, Lord, through Jesus. So we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.